Welcome to Absurdist Asylum. I'm your host, Jason Velarde, and as always, I'm joined by filmmaker Brad Cousy. This is one of our longest and most fun episodes so far, so strap in and prepare yourself for movie night in the asylum. I, I mean, I was talking to their friends, and, and the wedding show would be like 30 minutes or so, they said they're just doing one of the, like, I don't think it was the drive through chapel, but it's something similar to yeah, there's a lot to do in Vegas. You should look at, um, you can rent exotic cars there for the day, and they're actually pretty cheap. Yeah, I, I plan on being too intoxicated to, to drive an exotic car out there, but I did think about it. Well, I mean, they say, when will you ever be able to drive an exotic car? But when will you ever be able to get a DUI in an exotic car? <laughs> I mean... I'm just waiting for Absurdist Asylum to kick off so I can, you know, buy that exotic car and then get a DUI and then, you know, then live, live the life. This, the as police are said. like, oh, it's Jason Valerde. Okay. Oh, oh sorry, sir. The dude from that podcast that no one's ever heard of. Yeah, we better not book him. He's a, he's right. a celebrity. Right. He's a, he's a real folk hero, as they say. Uh, <laughs> so, so speaking of vegas is that the movie that we're talking about ends like pretty abruptly on a shot of paris paris in vegas um before i actually say what movie we're talking about i want to do something a bit new um you know what six degrees of kevin bacon is of course of course of course so i wanted to do six degrees of Kevin Bacon from our last movie to this one. Uh, now, it was actually infinitely easier than I thought. It was uh, four steps. I, I think I got it in. Um, as as our listeners know, our, our wide body of listeners know, we watched Skip Trace as our last movie, and that had Johnny Knoxville as one of the leads. Well, Johnny Knoxville was in The Ringer with Katherine Heigl, Catherine Heigl was in Knocked Up with Paul Rudd, and Paul Rudd was in Avengers Endgame with Chris Pratt. And Chris Pratt is the star of our movie, Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So that was actually much easier than I expected it to be. I think that <laughs> you got to start from the, like, the less known actor in, in Johnny Knoxville and work your way to the Chris Pratt's you got to start on the C list actors and work your way up to the A list the Jack A list <laughs> um so the reason i chose this movie is because i genuinely believed that it was the worst out of all the Jurassic Park movies um of course there's Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park Lost World, Jurassic Park 3, Jurassic World, and then Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Uh, I genuinely love the Jurassic Park movies. My first theater experience was me being probably too young to see Jurassic Park in theaters and seeing it in theaters. And like, I have a distinct memory of being like scared shitless of the Tyrannosaurus Rex chase scene and like wanting to leave. And then I have a genuine, I have a, a, a memory of 
being out of the theater and being like damn proud of myself that I wasn't like dad we need to go <laughs> because I was I was scared of this movie and it and it's like I love dinosaurs when I was a kid my favorite dinosaur was the stegosaurus uh so was mine actually oh how how crazy um so I wanted to ask you Brad uh before we get into Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom will you rate the five Jurassic Park movies for me rate them in order or just as as from what you think is the best to what you think is the worst <clears throat> all right i would say the original is probably the best because when you have an, a crazy idea of dinosaurs uh recreating dinosaurs to living with humans uh i'm sure the studios are like what are you talking about that's crazy you know how much money that's gonna cost let's do it and then they did it an idea like that is so original and so raw that it's the first experience you're ever going to get with dinosaurs, right? So anytime you do a sequel or even a prequel, God forbid they do a prequel, uh, <laughs> the idea like that, that, that majestic feeling is already gone because you already have one film in the bank, kind of like the way they do books. So I would say the original was the best. Then I think they just gradually started getting worse. Okay, so you would say like one through five is Jurassic Park, Lost World, Jurassic Park 3, Jurassic World, and then Fallen Kingdom? I would definitely put Fallen Kingdom at the very end. <laughs> so I would 100% agree with you on your first and last choices. I think that Jurassic Park, like you can't, you can't I, it's definitely got a bit of like a nostalgia hook for me like it's in my skin like i loved just like having that as a memory for me just just being you know as a kid 1994 or 5 when that movie came out just like loving dinosaurs having a movie that that genuinely got a reaction out of me like as as a child i was I was frightened of this movie and, and then, and then going through, and then I definitely think that that fallen kingdom is the worst of the five movies, which is why we picked it for our show today. But I think I differ a little bit with you in uh, two through four. I think, uh, I, I think I, Jurassic world was actually pretty good because they, they such a long time between the, their last movie and then the reboot. And I think the reboot did it justice. Yeah, actually, I think I think Jurassic World, and a lot of people might hate me for this, but I think Jurassic World is number two on my list, uh, just because it does. It was like generated to invoke the nostalgia of Jurassic Park, like, and it has, it has that setup that we always wanted to see, like, what if this was a functioning theme park, like a functioning place that people wanted to visit for vacation, not just like a test run like it was in Jurassic Park. Uh, I think number three would be The Lost World. Uh, I really like The Lost World. I, I, I would say that's my third choice. Okay, so so we're not differing too far there. Yeah, The Lost World was great just because, one, it was almost like a treat for me when I was a kid because I had uh, Jurassic Park on VHS I had Jurassic Park three on DVD when it first came out. And so I got to see those kind of whenever I wanted. 
but Jurassic Park The Lost World was like it was something that I only got to see it when it was on TV or it was like it was kind of like a story that I like didn't know as much about because I didn't have the opportunity to watch it as much uh and it and it also brings back like it's like what if there was a T-Rex times 2 you know what I mean like it's like it's uh it's just an extension of how good the first one is and it and it really plays as a sequel to the first one um and that's kind of why I put Jurassic World in front of it because I think uh just Jurassic World is kind of its own story like it's the start of a new saga and I think I think I may have already mentioned how I feel about like the the Star Wars prequels and stuff like that like I I like new stories and I like the idea of like taking this world we know and love and and making something new out of it and not just kind of like following the path of the first one laid out in front of us. Yeah. Expanding on top of it. And then, so obviously that leaves uh, Jurassic park three in uh, the fourth place, which Jurassic park three, I know, uh, you know, you had William H Macy and T Leone in it. And it's like, that was, that was a movie. I said, I had it on DVD. I watched a lot of it when I was a kid. And I just think that the God, I, I, I can't even remember the name of the dinosaur, but the like the T-Rex type dinosaur with like the spine on it that was like, Oh yeah, that's right. This wasn't as convincing of a, I mean, it was convincing, but it wasn't as domineering of a, of a force as the T-Rex or the two T-Rexes in lost world or the, the fucking Indominus Rex in Jurassic world. Like I think that it, it, it was a Jurassic Park movie, and I think that's one of the reasons why I didn't like uh, Fallen Kingdom as much is because it, it Fallen Kingdom like really starts off as a Jurassic Park movie and kind of moves into something else towards the end, and we'll get to that. But I think that's why I think I put Jurassic Park 3 over Fallen Kingdom. Well, I, I, and I think the reason why the first one is my all-time favorite is, uh, you know, my, my family's a big hunting family. And every year we'd go up in the winter and we'd hunt and we'd be in a, in a trailer and we'd be in a trailer for like one to th- two weeks, depending, right? My dad only had four VHS tapes and that was Men in Black, the original. Yes. Uh, I don't remember the other two because we mainly stuck to Men in Black, the original or Jurassic Park, the original. Uh-huh. So I've seen that movie damn, I don't know, at least 10 times over my 26-year lifespan so far. So that's probably why it's my favorite one. But I will agree with you, and I might even move up Jurassic World to be my second, just based on what you said as well. Is they did a very, very well, well done uh, reboot with Chris Pratt. And the fact that they did have a functioning park that went all to shit you know, that, that raises the stakes because in all the other movies, it's like, well, what if we had people here? Maybe that was a budgeting issue or maybe they never wanted it to go that way. You'd have to really talk to the original director to, to know why they chose that. Yeah, I think, I think uh, Jurassic, Jurassic World is like that, that movie that we, that we always wanted to see. Like, we, we wanted to see not just like this group of, you know, five to six people like we had in Jurassic World interact with these creatures. We wanted to see how these creatures react on a mass scale. 
Uh, would, have, would have been nice to have uh, Samuel Jackson lay down a motherfucker line one more time. I mean, any movie with Samuel L. Jackson is is a creative win. You know, it's like very true. He, I mean, he didn't make Captain Marvel, but he certainly improved it. <laughs> I liked it a lot. Yeah. But uh, anyways, we're talking about dinosaurs, not superheroes. Yeah. You know, I can only talk about Avengers so so damn much on on one podcast. I feel like we always mention it at least once. We, I, it almost has come up every single time. Like the Avengers are just kind of in the zeitgeist right now for us. But uh, let's, <laughs> let's let's get into Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. This movie opens on a underwater scene where the, this team is using like a submarine to harvest a sample of the uh, Indominus Rex, which was the big bad from the last movie, the Jurassic World. And the, 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 uh, they like are on this expedition to like chop off a piece of the skeleton that uh, is underwater, which I thought was, was kind of weird because at the end of Jurassic World, isn't the Indominus Rex eaten by the, that giant underwater fucking dinosaur yeah but i think in the beginning of jurassic uh the fallen kingdom that big ass dinosaur the the big water one that ate the indominus rex that's Uh, the same the same monster in the very beginning so my guess is he eventually pooped out a bone or didn't eat all of it immediately i I don't know yeah i think I, uh, i think that's why they tied that dinosaur in because like wait a minute how do they get this but dinosaur bone if this one got eaten by this one? Yeah, and I mean, honestly, when you when you see them underwater and you know it's a Jurassic Park movie after Jurassic World, you know somebody's about to get fucked by that thing. Um, I, I I'm trying to remember exactly what type of dinosaur it was, but uh, that that giant underwater like shark dinosaur, oh, Mosasaurus is what it was. Is, oh, you got to before I did. Yeah, it's it is is honestly, in my opinion, one of the scarier things in any of the Jurassic Park movies. Like, I I'm the type of kid who would like freak out in a pool because I like saw Jaws one too many times. Like, and and that tar- sort of shit, where it's just like, I don't know, something about like being on the water and having some like devious carnivorous shit floating underneath me is entirely more frightening than running around an island full of, you know, Tyrannosaurus rexes and Indominus rexes and Velociraptors. Like anything under the water is scary as shit to me. Probably because you don't see it coming. And at least on land, you could try to run away. You may not make it, but you can at least attempt and have a good chance of getting away by hiding in a tree trunk or something. But in the water, you're just kind of fucked. Yeah. And, uh, and the, uh, the, so the team is like there specifically to get this sample of the Indominus Rex and they have to have a guy on land to get them into the like gate sanctuary of the, I guess it's called a bathosphere in the, the pardon me in the movies is where this like Mosasaurus is hanging out. And I guess uh, the, the movie itself, like the main section of Jurassic world Fallen kingdom is set three years after the Jurassic world movie. 
but I was, I was reading around and apparently the director says the scene where they're harvesting this piece is actually just like six months after the uh, end of Jurassic world. So it's like the fact that the guys are like everything in this lagoon should be dead by now is just inaccurate. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think that there was ever some kind of time sequence in the beginning of the movie saying, you know, at least a timestamp saying, hey, this was six months after this event happened. Yeah, definitely there wasn't. But uh, in, in doing the research that I found, the director, oh, I've been saying his name like three times all day, J.A. Barona, I believe it is. Uh, J.A. Bayona, not Barona. Uh, said that the the that sequence in particular was set three or uh, three to six months after the uh, initial the Jurassic World, so it kind of makes sense how that creature is still floating around and and uh, there to fuck stuff up. But uh, the guy who I feel bad for uh, the the techie guy who is like there to open up the gate and kind of like radio in this that and the other uh, because he he's there and the mission's basically done at this point and they just need to get home and all of a sudden the t-rex comes out of the woods and chases him down the guy barely makes it away from the t-rex by jumping on like the drop down ladder that this helicopter leaves it's like a very like high action scene very high action moment and the T-Rex grabs a hold of the ladder, like shakes him around. They're like saying, cut the ladder, get rid of this guy. Like we don't want to die because this guy's, you know, hooked up by the T-Rex and he gets away. And then the scariest shit in the world happens. Like the fucking Mazasaurus comes out of the water and just snaps him up and the helicopter gets away. And that's like, and then it, then it fades into the title sequence, Jurassic world, fallen kingdom. And it's like, not only does that guy not have a name, it's like I know movies like have the the nameless victims of like the henchmen of the bad guy or whatever, but it's like this guy, he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was like he was helping collect the DNA sample. He doesn't, you know, he, <laughs> but he gets He didn't deserve that. Yeah. It's like the it's like the lady who played the babysitter in Jurassic World Volcano who was watching the kids. Like, I don't know if you remember, but she gets that like She gets taken away by the pterodactyls, yeah, I think. She gets torn up like for no reason at all. Cause it's like, you know, in a lot of the Jurassic park movies, it's like the bad guy gets the bad death where he gets like ripped apart, torn apart by the dinosaurs. It's like, there's like, there's a couple of scenes in these movies where like people who, who've done essentially nothing just get ripped up for, I mean, you, it looks just like, being in the wrong place. Yeah. Just like being, being in the wrong place, the wrong time type person. Could you imagine like, looking online for a job and seeing a Craigslist ad to be like, a, Hey, we're going to go to this Island and, you know, recover some data. And he's like, Oh, okay, cool. Then they hire him. And then all of a sudden, wait, there's fucking dinosaurs on this Island. Are you shitting me? Like you're not paying me enough to do all this. And then you die. Yeah. I think I, I mean, for some like secret op shit, like he was doing, I would not be down for that. But if it was like, go into the island and do some research like they or or do like like the recovery mission like they do later in the movie uh i might be down for that but like the like you know you know you're in trouble if you're doing some shit in secret on a dinosaur island like nobody's gonna know you were there nobody's gonna know why you died yeah you're just collateral damage at that point essentially nameless hiding the secret yeah nameless and faceless Another thing I didn't realize is 
Well, I was thinking about this earlier, actually. They have all that tech to like recover data and DNA from this bone in the bottom of the sea, right? Are you are you telling me like their radars didn't pick up this gigantic monster floating nearby? Like there's no way they didn't see this thing at least, I don't know, a hot, like 50 miles off. So and yeah, that, that kind of goes that. into the like the opening line of the movie is everything in this lagoon should be dead by now. So I think they just went in there like, like swinging dicks too cocky and, and, and just like thinking, Oh, we'll, we'll be fine. Everything's fine here. And it's like, have you not seen any of the other four movies? Like nothing is fine on these islands. <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe get more than just one helicopter with three dudes in it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and it's like, they had no intention of, recovering the dudes in the submarine either because like i don't know if you noticed but the helicopter just fucking books it afterwards and the submarine's still underwater so it's like i wonder if that submarine got away though it, i, I mean, don't know sure it's possible but it's not on screen and it's like i mean they're on on the off the the coast of costa rica somewhere it's like it's not like it's it's easy for that sub to get back yeah i'm sure they all got uh, eaten too I bet if you check the cre- the cast list, they're in there as deceased. <laughs> so uh, after that scene, we get treated to uh, something that we see a lot in movies these days. And I think a lot of people kind of set it as an easy out, but we get treated to like a newsreel ex- exposition where we get told that not only is there a volcano on this island, but there's also like a congressional hearing as to whether or not we should be assisting these dinosaurs getting them off the off the island because they're living creatures and the you know, animal rights and all that which i mean i'm not anti animal rights but i mean do how many how many how many times do we got to fuck up like did none of these people remember what happened in san francisco in the lost world was it san francisco no it was san diego oh, yeah. in the lost world like when you know let's bring a t-rex to the san diego zoo and that T-Rex just like fucks everything up. Do they not remember what happens? That's actually like my big issue with the lost world too, is like we saw Jurassic park. We know that they had a test on this Island where they're going to create a theme park. And then, you know, X amount of time later, I, th- I think it's canonically like 20 or 22 years after the events of Jurassic park there's a fucking whole like theme park that people are just going to like we're just gonna we're just gonna go hang out with the dinosaurs like nobody knows what happens in san francisco or san diego and on uh isla nublar the first time like these it it, it, is it's amazing to me that like you have jeff goldblum in this congressional hearing as dr ian malcolm like testifying about yeah we should probably just like let these things die like they were supposed to be dead but we have no indication that he was anywhere during the creation of the lost world or not the lost world, the Jurassic world like resort where thousands of people flock to every year. Like he probably wanted no part of it, but he probably doesn't want any part of this, but he's there like saying like, I don't want any part of this and you guys should definitely stop fucking with it because I know what happens. I was in two of these movies. Like, <laughs> yeah, he, he he's kind of like the 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 voice of reason. Like, hey, I've been around this for a while now, and uh, 
Actually, that's the one, one of the things that I didn't like about Fallen Kingdom was the pandering. So when, when, when you make a movie, right, uh, doesn't matter what movie you're making, if you can pander it to any kind of current events that are happening at, in that certain point in time, it's going to do better because the movie's going to, you know, it's, it's more current, you know, hitting the, these parts in history. And around 2015, we were having a lot of these new movements going on, you know, like, uh, you know, just a lot of like animal rights activists, like you were said, or, you know, just, you know, everybody love everybody, like a lot of like almost hippie stuff going on, like, oh, you can't kill them. They're innocent dinosaurs, like they're innocent monsters that are murderers, whether they eat meat or not, they can still trample you to death. And so I think during that scene with Jeff Goldblum and there's all the, the protesters that are saying like, let the dinosaurs live. And then they have that, they have that office uh, where they're like trying to get petitions and votes to like save the dinosaurs. Can you imagine walking into a, like a gas station? You know how they used to have the, the cup there that said save the whales, but instead it says save the dinosaurs and it's just got a list of dinosaurs. Would you give your 25 extra cents to help save those dinosaurs? I mean, that would that would have to depend a lot on my experience. If my experience is watching the Jurassic Park movies, like, fuck no. But if my experience is like, oh, dinosaurs are majestic and beautiful, maybe I would think about it. But, yeah. You, you I wonder if point. any of those protesters ever were at the – I don't think there's one protester that was at that park when all this shit went down and then also goes, yeah, no, seriously, let them live. Well, yeah, and so you're right. There's there's a point where we find out that uh, Claire Deering, who's who's Bryce Dallas Howard's character, and Franklin Webb, who is uh, Justice Smith's character, and Zia Rodriguez, who is Daniela Panita's character, are all like part of this like dinosaur advocacy group. And actually, uh, the Zia Rodriguez character is on the phone with a senator, and she's like no, I can't afford to spend, like, I've never seen a dinosaur in real life. I can't afford to spend my life savings to go to this island. And and it kind of, like, raises that exact point. Like, you know, you have people like Ian Malcolm who are, who have, have been there, like, been in the shoes, like, walked the walk and did did the talk, saying, like, we should really just not do this. And then you got people who are who are, like, young and idealistic and, like, they want to to live in this world where where dinosaurs exist because it's all they've known and it, and it does kind of bring up like an interesting maybe not maybe not political but just kind of like mirror to society where it says like like some of these some of these people who just don't know what the actuality of it is and some of the people who do know what the actuality of it is are like pleading saying like no let's not do this Another thing I thought was weird is during this like activist like group where they're trying to get petitions and trying to get government officials on their side, right? Um, Bryce Dallas Howard's character, Claire, right? I think it's Claire, right? Yeah. She's like the president of this like advocacy group, but she was also there when the shit went down. She was the main biologist, like, but we're not the main she but, was she wasn't the biologist she was just like the head of business essentially she was like the frontward facing yeah she was you know a well known name during 
Jurassic World when that all happened, when all the shit went down. And so I, I wonder if like, and it's, it's throughout this movie, as we talk about it, um, her character is trying to like redeem herself about the events that happened in Jurassic World. But seeing the destruction and god awful, you know, murders that happened from dinosaurs to humans, you think she would be against it, but she's not. She's all for saving them. You're right. It, it, it's interesting to see the idea that like her character is all about making things better. And then we, we come across Chris Pratt's character, Owen Grady, who's <laughs> like, why would we go back? Like what would, what would be the benefit of that? Um, and, and, and it's, I don't think we mentioned the whole reason that these dinosaurs are in danger is because there's a volcano on this Island, which, which begs the question, like they built this whole Jurassic world theme park on an Island that has an active volcano on it? Question mark. Well, it was dormant. I remember them talking in Jurassic World saying the the reason why they got the land so cheap is because there's a volcano, but it's been dormant. There's no cause for alarm. Interesting. So I, I guess Let I, alone that's just to set up the next fucking movie. <laughs> I mean, I don't remember that. And it, and and in the first book, the Michael Crichton Jurassic Park, it does mention that there is a volcano on Isla Sorna or uh, Isla Nubar. Isla Sorna, which is another question that this movie brings up, is the movie that The Lost World and Jurassic Park 3 took place on, which also brings the question is like, everybody's panicking to save these animals on Isla Nublar. And they've created the other ones. Yeah, they created this sanctuary island for these dinosaurs to go to. Uh, once you know they if if they do get rescued, but nobody uh, mentions Isla Sorna except for uh, Mr. Lockhart, who is uh, the the old guy. We'll get to it in just a second. He's the old guy who like finances the whole thing. Um. Uh. Actually, actually, uh, Benjamin Lockwood was played by James Cromwell, and he was the one who calls Claire in that office to uh have offer him, her the uh, job yeah, yeah offer her a job to go help save the dinosaurs uh and, and it was specifically they want to use her security clearance at the the park to track the velociraptor blue who was like the leader of chris pratt's little 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 gang in uh the jurassic world movie well i think they needed her clearance to just get into the park because she was like one of the only members that was able to go anywhere she wanted on that park. But yeah, that was the main, her main purpose was, Hey, let's get her credentials. Let her think that she's doing good. And then we're just going to leave her on the Island and see what happens. Well, yeah. And so, so they get to the Island and, and true Jurassic park lost world style. They're immediately double crossed by the tracking team that uh, Eli Mills, the guy who is, who is uh, Mr. Lockwood's um, kind of like not heir to the estate, but like the guy who's in control of his estate. Uh, he sends a tracking team with them to this island and they're almost immediately double crossed by them to uh, once, as soon as Claire kind of like tracks down where Blue's at, uh, they, they, almost, they almost immediately double cross them just like the, they sent that whole second team in the Lost World. So I do like how this movie has some like 
pretty obvious nods to the other movies, which I think is, I don't know, a lot of people call it pandering or, or what you will, but I, I think it's important in a franchise to kind of like nod to their roots, if you will. They're definitely keeping the, the theme going. When you have a movie like this, you don't want to change it too much because then it just gets way too confusing because you've already, you've already changed the movie so much as a reboot. You don't want to change so much of it to where it doesn't tie to the other movies. And then it's just basically dinosaurs is the only thing that connects the two. So I, I, I think, you know, the whole double cross and the backstabbing definitely emphasize the correlation between all the Jurassic movies. Because there's always some sort of double cross or backstabbing going on. There's also money. Money was also a big motivator in almost every movie. I mean, money makes the world go around. Money uh, and fame. Another another thing that this movie does that that really ties it into the other movies is that they go back to almost the exact same filming locations as they had in uh, Jurassic Park, uh, not the Lost World, but um, there's a lot of like physical locations that they filmed in Hawaii that are the exact same places that they filmed certain scenes in Jurassic Park. Oh, I don't think I caught that actually. Yeah, um, I was watching a little featurette and they were talking about how, you know, in Jurassic Park when they uh, see all the Gallimimus running at them and they all run and kind of hide by the tree while the Gallimimus are jumping over them. Is that the same scene when the volcano blows up? Yeah, exactly. Where the, the okay. volcano blown up and they, they're all running downhill from the, it's the exact same location. There's just okay. more di- different types of dinosaurs and stuff. Which yeah, I, I, I thought that looked familiar, but I, I couldn't figure out where. I, I, I wasn't sure why it looked familiar. I just thought, oh, it's, I thought maybe it's just, oh, it's one of those scenes that like happens in a movie like this. I didn't realize, oh, that's the same location. Almost the same kind of action too. Like, Yeah, it was, well, it was a visual nod to that first movie where like they, Mark. like people were running from. And actually, if you watch the scene closely, the first dinosaur to run out of that volcanic ash is a Gallimimus, like the same, the same type of dinosaur. It'd be interesting to put both scenes up side by side, do a side by side comparison mm-hmm. and see not only if they match like the action, you know, of being chased by the dinosaurs into the middle of the rubble, but I wonder if like shot size and, you know, the color correction, I wonder if any of that also matched. Cause that's, that's pretty much paying homage to a, a certain scene of a later movie or an earlier movie. Yeah. So, uh, so after the, the, our heroes, we'll call them like Claire and Owen are, are double crossed. There's a scene where Claire and Franklin are trapped in this bunker and they're being like stalked or attacked by a baryonyx type dinosaur. And the, the lava starts throwing, flowing through the cracks of the ceiling as the volcano is exploding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and through my research, I actually found like the lava, if you watch it, is clearly CGI, but they actually did something really cool to get the proper lighting for the effect because they said if they had used like LEDs or any other type of lighting, it wouldn't have looked genuine. So what they did is they soaked kitty litter in flammable liquid and used a series of 12 nozzles to like pour it through different spots in the ceiling as it was on fire. Oh, so it looks like molten lava. It looks like they get the right lighting for like flame effects and stuff like that. And then they see, oh. it. I was like, wow, I would have, that is not something I would have thought of. 
and it's yeah, I don't quite think, impressive. I, don't, I wouldn't have thought of that either. I, I, what I was going to say is if, if you had asked me how I would have done that scene, granted, I don't have a huge budget and I don't have that kind of know-how how to, hey, let's do this kind of stuff. I would have definitely thrown a bunch of LEDs colored like red or orange LEDs, a, a mixture, and using water elements to try to get that color as it's falling down. That's how I probably would have done it. But the kitty litter idea, that's not a bad idea. I might actually use that at some point. Yeah, I thought it was it was kind of just speaks to, you know, why the people that make these movies are in the positions that they're in. Is like they have like the creative, like instead of like having an actual light, let's like light some shit on fire. You know what I mean? I think it's it's really impressive how they come up with it. Cause you look at the the way the light reflects off of the characters' faces as they're being attacked by this dinosaur. And it and it does really have a you know like a, a glow like a warm glow effect that you wouldn't get from you know a certain type of LED or regular light or something like that. Yeah, you do need some. I mean, lava is not really a liquid; it's more of like a molten, a molten solid. solid. Yeah, yeah. Hey, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a that's a that's another funny thing is as you mentioned that kitty litter. Like, like it's not some big expensive thing that they created or all CGI everything where it took millions of dollars. No, it's just basic, you know, kitty litter that your cat takes a shit in every day. Well, yeah, and it, and it's cool how they, like, there was a certain point where the pinnacle of CGI was the Transformers movies where they had, like, the proper light reflecting off each individual surface of the, like, Transformers as they're transforming and that was like it looked amazing and it's like it was like pinnacle technology like you didn't get these lighting effects in cgi before that but i like how they went back and they're like that's not really what we're looking for here we're looking for something like it would have been i got to assume extremely difficult to get the right lighting effects on these live action characters faces from a cgi effect you know what i mean yeah i've actually been watching a lot of like visual effects breakdowns um recently just you know for my own knowledge so when i'm in production i know how to do it more appropriately or accurately and a lot of things that i've noticed is a lot of production companies whether it's a big budget movie like jurassic park or a short film is everyone like they place the lights where they think the lights need to be but when you're rendering cgi or visual effects you don't think about where the light should not be where the shadows need to be casted because not only does light help sell the effect, but so do the shadows. If there's, if you put your hand in front of your face and, and you're facing a light, you're casting a, a shadow on your face from your hand. So you have to recreate that CGI-wise. You have to make it as, most, as real as possible to sell the effect. And now that I think about it, when you go back and watch that part, not only are they pretty much only lit by the lava coming in, I think that also helped sell that effect. Yeah. I don't, there's maybe one emergency light going off and it's like red and it's, I think it's flashing if I remember correctly. Otherwise it's that lava flowing in that's lighting that whole scene and that probably would help sell that effect. Yeah. And I, I like, it's just amazing the, the ingenuity that goes to play getting that effect right. Um, Plus, so, and another thing is making the dinosaur look more realistic because if there's too much light, you'll see too much detail. 
if you see too much detail, you might start seeing imperfections of the CGI and visual effects. Therefore, you're not like, oh, the dinosaur doesn't look correct. But with the shadows and, and being in a more darker area, it kind of hides that mysterious section. So it just makes everything look more realistic. Out of all the scenes, I think that maybe looks the most realistic. Yeah, and, I, and, and before we get too far away from the bunker scene, uh, the, going into this movie, like one of the reasons I wanted to pick this movie for the podcast is because I, I really thought that I disliked Justice Smith, the uh, Franklin Webb character. Like I thought I just didn't like him as an actor. And I think after watching this movie over and over again, it, he, he plays like this like terrified nerd for most of the film. And I just, you know, I just watched Detective Pikachu not that long ago. And it was really just like an, an Me too. Okay, it was just like an okay movie. And uh, his character, I think, I think it's more just like the scared nerd trope that I don't like. And he's just like really good at playing that trope. Like uh, I, there was a lot of times in this movie where the director deliberately didn't tell him what was going to happen to get that like actual scared reaction out of him, which is something and that happens a lot. Yeah. I hear a lot of, a lot of directors use. Uh, but I think the idea of the fact that he's just like the unofficial face of this, like scared nerd trope that's going along in movies is kind of why I didn't like him because watching this movie over and over again, I realized that it's not him as a, as a person or an actor that I don't like. It's just the idea that like, you can't be, nerdy and just like a regular person you have to be like a terrified like you know needing to be saved type person almost like a stereotype like 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 a movie stereotype like i know a lot of nerdy people in my real life and they're not always scared about everything they're not always shut-ins you know some people just really like tech and and you know video games and stuff but i think that's a, a movie trope that most directors give nerds is like all right, you're a nerdy kid and you're scared of everything because you're shut in and all you do is play video games and hack code. Yeah. So you don't know the real life. So the real life is supposed to scare you. And yeah, honestly. I get that, but, but I think, I don't know. I think that's more of a, a director's issue. Like, he's a great actor. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. He can only do what the director wants him to do. Yeah, like I said, I think that's what may, what I realized after watching this movie a few times is that it's not really him that's making that decision. This is kind of, you know, his body is typecast and he, you know, he's yeah. good at playing that type of character. And so I don't think it's really his issue. And it's like, I, I know, like, like, we know a lot of nerds in our, in our real life. And some of the nerdiest people I know are some of the, also some of the like more like adventurous people that I know. Like I'd say more ballsy too. Like they're yeah. not afraid to speak their mind kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Cause they, they've been speaking their whole mind on the internet for years and years and years. Um, <laughs> so, so while this whole scene in the bunker is going on, uh, the Owen Grady character and the, also the uh, veterinarian character, Zia Rodriguez go along with this trapping team to hunt down the blue, the Velociraptor. And it's mentioned like in the beginning of the movie, like you'll never get within a mile of this raptor because you can, you know, she'll smell you from a mile off. And then they find this raptor 
and it's immediately surrounded by soldiers as if it had no idea it was like that you know these people were like 20 yards away from it or something yeah like they made it to be this badass hunter that you'll never catch and then what four or five minutes later you're like oh there it is oh that was easy two trank darts like and it's and it, yeah and so the the character the the blue takes two trank darts to the neck as they're trying to capture him and uh pratt does it i don't i don't even remember what it's called it was like pratt posing or something it was a meme for a while where it's like, it's like oh got yeah. your hands and you like you know you know you're training the dinosaurs and he, he's telling this team to like get back get back and the guys are still you know they're not listening to him they're pointing guns at him at the at the dinosaur and the velociraptor of course attacks one of the attacks one of these soldiers and as it's attacking the soldier the guy pulls out a gun and a pistol a real pistol because apparently all these guys are only armed with tranquilizer darts like that's the only real gun in the movie it seems like is the the pistol the guy uses to shoot in the chest well uh, would you want to be the one responsible for killing a dinosaur that you're gonna sell for millions of dollars I mean, you're well. You're right. They probably didn't equip them with with the proper uh, weaponry, uh, but it because they don't care if you die. They they care if the dinosaur lives. Really, right? It's all about that dollar, dollar, dollar bills, y'all. Dollar bills. Uh, so so oh, uh, so now, yeah. The the dinosaur has been shot in the chest because she was attacking this guy, and his like last ditch effort was to pull out his sidearm and shoot her in the chest as she's on top of him, and so that kind of like sets up the whole idea is like. They they spend a lot of the movie trying to save, uh, maybe not a lot of the movie, but a decent chunk of the movie, like the middle act of this movie, trying to save Blue from this gunshot wound, um, and that actually brings to mind, like so so essentially, they get all these dinosaurs off of the island after some like Jurassic Park things happen. They run from dinosaurs. They see a T Rex. There's a uh, a Carnotaur that gets attacked by a T Rex, and it and it's interesting and in. All the Jurassic Park movies, there's like a progression of dinosaurs that the T Rex proves it's better than, like, <laughs> and it, so it's like in the the first Jurassic Park, T Rex is greater than all except for five Jurassic uh, Velociraptors, and then in the second one, it's two T Rexes is greater than all, and then in Jurassic World, it's a T-Rex is greater than the dinosaur with the spine on its back. Not Jurassic World, Jurassic Park 3. And then in Jurassic World, it's T-Rex is better than Indominus Rex. And then in this movie, you get the great scene where the Carnotaur, which I don't know if you remember the CGI dinosaur movie, the Disney one. Oh, yeah. Those were like the main bad guys was the Carnotaurs. And so it gets... Uh, it like shows up, does this like where it roars and like scares everybody. And the T-Rex just shows up and murks it out of nowhere. Like, and, and, go ahead. I, w- I was wondering like why, why they picked the T-Rex. And I know it's the logo of every single movie that Jurassic Park's been about, but like why the T-Rex there? I'm sure there are, and they've showed other ant- like dinosaurs that are way more capable of way more destruction. But every movie, they always show the T-Rex being the badass. Like the Indominus Rex, I'm pretty sure the Dominus Rex, if they wrote the story differently, that, that Dominus Rex would fuck up the T-Rex. It's got yeah, mid arms. I think really it's um, one, a nostalgia factor. Like the T-Rex was so a big bad in the first movie. 
but also you're right it, it is in fact the face of jurassic park like when you think Jur- the whole jurassic world franchise if anything comes to your mind other than just like either the t-rex roaring at the end of the movie and like he's inside the 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 facility and the banner drops down that says welcome to jurassic park or the, the t-rex. t-rex chasing after the jeep like it, it is there's there's not a lot that like cements that franchise in your mind other than the t-rex i would say if you had to pick the most famous dinosaurs out of all the movies in order t-rex would be number one probably velociraptors would be number two and then it's probably a fight for number three with whatever animals are alive. I honestly think number three would be like the Brachiosaurus that they see at the beginning. Or the Brontosaurus. Or the bron- well, yeah, the Brontosaurus, Brachiosaurus, the long neck dinosaur that you see at the, like, the first dinosaur they see in Jurassic Park and the last dinosaur that they see on the island in this movie. Um, because as, as they're getting off of the island, like, all the dinosaurs they didn't save are being eaten up by this volcano. I'm glad you touched on that because that's where I was wanting to lead to next. Yeah. So, so go ahead. Well, so, and this is actually a trope from the first movie. So in the first movie, when the doctors are hiding up in the trees and just escaped all these dinosaurs, the one friendly dinosaur that shows up is the brontosaurus. And they're eating the leaves and they're like, oh my God, look at the brontosaurus. And that's when that big music chime hits. Like the very, the famous <laughs> Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's called <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to the Island by John Williams. Yeah, money. I'm sure that he made bunches of money. Oh yeah, John Williams is, is not, taking all get out. Not, not only does the theme song of the full franchise show up at that particular moment, it's the only dinosaur that... I guess, wasn't attacking the humans or showing them kindness. Now we skip all the way to Fallen Kingdom and uh, spoiler alert, lava is killing everything. And so the humans, you know, they eventually make it to the boat, the rescue boat, when they've got all these other giant dinosaurs, kind of like the Ark, like Noah's Ark. They took as many dinosaurs as they could save. But the one dinosaur you see at the end of the pier who is either either it has to wade off into the water and die of, of drowning or be murdered by lava is the brontosaurus and i think i cried the first time i saw that like not bawling in the movie theater but i, I had some tears the first a, time i saw that was emotional and actually you you kind of just sent it home for me because i didn't even really think about the fact that it was like the only dinosaur that was like decent to them throughout the whole franchise was these like long neck dinosaurs brachiosaurus brontosaurus whatever you want to call it arguably that's the biggest land dinosaurs and yeah that's the one that like gets just kind of like the slow like heartfelt death at the end of it i didn't i didn't quite realize like i kind of drew the drew the similarities that it was that was the dinosaur in the first one but i didn't realize it was like yeah you're right that's the only dinosaur that's like any good to them throughout the whole franchise of the movies. And I feel like that you don't go watching fallen kingdom without at least seeing one or two of the other movies, right? That's not your first movie you start off with. So I'm sure the filmmakers decided, well, like we want to have this heartbreak moment right here when the dinosaurs are dying, because in the beginning of fallen kingdom, the whole point is to save the dinosaurs, right? 
and they save a handful of the dinosaurs, but there's thousands of them on the island. You can only save so many. You only have so many boats and helicopters. Well, which one are we going to have be the last one we see on that island? Oh, let's make it a pull at the heartstrings moment, and let's make it a brontosaurus. And I did. I, I don't think there was one dry eye when I went and watched it on opening night. I mean, I, I, I've, I've seen some fucked up shit in movies, right? And uh, that one really got to me. I was like, man, that is really fucked up. So you, so you say you, you went and saw this actually in the theaters. I didn't see this until it was available. I bought the, like the septuple pack on Voodoo where I got all five of the movies in one go. Uh, and I didn't see Jurassic World until it had been out for a while. Uh, in, in the theaters was you, you, like this, you said it had a pretty emotional impact for you and, uh, and maybe some people you went to. Uh, did it, did it like strike you in the theaters where there's like a pretty big thematic change in like the last third of this movie? Did you, did you catch that in theaters? Cause the first time I watched it, I didn't really catch the thematic change. And I think that that's one of the reasons why I didn't like it. Like one of the reasons why I picked it for the show is because I didn't really notice it until I started like digging deeper. I, I would say when you're in the movie theater, you're there with, you know, at least 150 other people, right? And so watching it for the first time, you're there for the experience. You're not really there for, you know, picking apart and figuring out what worked and what didn't work. So when I watched it in theaters, I would say it was more of like we were all conjoined in this one experience of watching, you know, this movie. And right, right after that moment happened, I could... I could feel the tension in the theater because everybody was like heartfelt for this dinosaur that was just, you know, being burned alive. And luckily they didn't show all that. A lot of smoke covers it before the lava gets to the brontosaurus. But I mean, I heard people sniffling and I heard people crying and there's definitely a beat where everybody's just like the movie theater is dead quiet, not including just the people being quiet, but like there's no sound. The only sound you see is the the doors coming down from the uh, the ship that yeah. like after that there's a good beat of just dead silence and it's I, I think that was a really smart move on the filmmakers part it's like all right give everybody a moment let the silence break back into the story and I thought that was really smart so uh, you are right like I'm not disagreeing with you that wasn't quite the thematic change that I was talking about uh, there's there's a point in this movie where uh, like after they're off of the Island, they're helping the, the blue character uh, kind of, you know, get healthy. And that's actually uh, before I get too far away from it. One of the most impressive practical effects in this movie is on that. Two of the most impressive practical effects on in this movie are on that ship uh, where one they're helping the blue raptor. Oh yeah, the dinosaurs. And uh, the T-Rex is the blue character is on this table, and I didn't realize until after watching like some featurettes of this movie, there's actually like up to twelve people underneath that table controlling an animatronic dinosaur, like raptor. And that's another one moment in the movie where they did like these jump scares without telling the actors. 
is uh, when the blood squirts up in Justice Smith's face, the, the Franklin character. They like, didn't tell him. Tell him that was going to happen. Um, so they get some like great reactions uh, out of it. And it, and it's all practical. Well, for the most part, it's not all practical. They have to have some like eye fluttering movements and stuff like that, that aren't quite uh, built into the animatronic, but also on that ship, you mentioned the T-Rex. There's a whole like head and shoulder mounted T-Rex animatronic that's built into the back of this semi that the characters basically ride while they're trying to get like a blood transfusion for the the blue raptor who's like hemorrhaging at this point yeah they uh they have to pull the blood from the t-rex for a blood transfusion to save the life of the velociraptor because their dna is so closely matched essentially so and, and the the t-rex like i saw how it was built it was basically just like a plastic shell that they pulled like a foam rubber um like dinosaur skin cover over but i mean i i feel like they could have done that with just like kind of like how game of thrones did where they've just like got green screen dragons and but they're like they're just like basically green screen stuffed animals that they cgi over but they actually built like a full head and shoulders rig of this T-Rex in the back of a semi so they could have the Bryce How- Dallas Howard character like essentially rodeo. They mentioned the rodeo. They ride on top of this dinosaur and it looked like she's actually there. Yeah, actually. And I, I think that that might be like paying more homage to the older ones, the older movies where it was all animatronics. But anytime you can do a practical effect versus a visual effect, the practical effect, just that effect sells so much better because it's real. It's something that, that you can touch. It's something the actors and talent can react to or not react to because it's actually physically there. Whereas if there's just one big ass green plush thing, you know, it's kind of hard to react to that. Even as a trained actor, I'm sure it's it's different if you have a practical effect versus a visual effect. And did you actually see how they built that that rig of that truck? They took yeah. out the engine and like used the engine bay as like just there's like three dudes moving levers and controls and buttons to like move the the whole thing. Yeah, it's crazy. Like that alone must have cost. I mean, at least I don't know half a half a mil to build that. I don't know. I don't I, know. And, and puppeteering in general is, it's amazing that we've come from, I mean, guys in Raptor suits to they have like these fully functioning 12 man puppeteers where it almost reminds me of like, uh, have you ever seen the breakdown of how the guys were fit into the job of the hut costume? I did. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there's like, three guys inside this and one's like specifically there for the tail. And, and it's just amazing how far that we've come to where honestly, I thought the vast majority of that scene was CGI until I saw the, the fact that they had built the rig and I like, I went back and watched the movie again and I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. That part's CGI. That's the rig. Like, and, it, and it's amazing that they can just kind of blend this seamlessly now. Yeah. And the cool thing is, it's even better when they mix CGI with practical effects in the same dinosaur. They do it throughout the movie. And that's one of the main 
ones that they do is with that T-Rex and the Velociraptor. There's visual effects and practical effects working in conjunction with each other. I could not tell the difference. Like, I really thought that shit was real. Yeah, without looking at it, you can't, you can't really... Like, there are some shots that are obviously CGI, but without, like, really looking for it, you can't tell the difference between the CGI and the practical effects when they're there. Uh, one of the the funniest practical effects that I heard they used was they actually had inflatable dinosaurs that they used. Um, I don't think they were actually on camera because from how I read it, they were just to kind of get the, uh, like, the height, right? As yeah, far as lines. the actors. Yeah, the eyelines, exactly what they're what the actors are looking at. Um, and I just like never, never would I have thought that, uh, you know, these movies were using inflatable dinosaurs, like, you know, it's got the pool floaty going on. Uh, and so I, I found that pretty entertaining. We, I worked on a horror shoot one time, a horror movie one time. And, uh, there's this weird demonic character that's supposed to be larger than life. It's supposed to be like 10 to 12 feet tall. And, uh, we, we just used a stick with a paper plate with like evil looking like red eyes and that was the character's, the, the talent's <laughs> eyeline. And then we, you know, built around that model. We masked that out and built the actual character. Well, I didn't do any of that. But, man, I, I, it was supposed to be one of those scenes where, like, you're deathly afraid. Like, you for sure think you're going to die. And I was like, man, how great of an actor do you have to be to sell the effect that this paper plate on a 12-foot stick is going to murder me? And so I feel like it's the same way when they do – scenes like that where they have blow up dinosaurs like obviously it's harmless it's not going to do anything plus you've got hundreds of crew members around you it kind of takes that fear level out of you but when they say action you have to pretend that this is all completely real yeah and, and, and i mean for fear of talking about the marvel movies too much <laughs> uh, we're back to the marvel movies where they had the the thanos rig where josh Brolin's where like He's wearing his CGI capture suit so they can get all his motions and acting. Right. But then he's got the like six foot stick above him. And have you seen the picture of the smiling Thanos that they have? Like it's like yeah. bearing with the teeth. Like it's, it's, I, I mean that, that especially would just be hard not to laugh when I had to look up at that. But just like, it, it's so like, they've got it down to such a science that they know that like, not only do we need to capture this actor's motions, but we also have to have the people who are acting against this actor looking at the right face. And I remember just have correct reactions. Yeah. I remember, I believe it was the mummy and don't quote me on this, but they had, uh, it was the mummy returns. Actually the one with the rock, they had tennis balls, uh, like strung up on string where they wanted people like you look at this guy, that's the rock. And that's like the scorpion King, I should say, like, look at this, but they've like, they've evolved that now to where, you know, they use inflatable dinosaurs or fucking cardboard cutouts or it's like, it's kind of interesting to like, think of the progression of how effects have evolved. Yeah. I actually, I still use tennis balls. Um, yeah. For uh, anytime you're doing a, you need an eyeline, but you don't have that character on set, you grab a C stand, which is just like a, a light stand or any kind of stand that can raise up anywhere from 10 to 12 to 15, 16 feet. So you cut a slit on the tennis ball and you pop this tennis ball on top of the C stand. And then you're like, all right, that's your eyeline. You look there. 
and it works really well actually, but it, it, it also depends on what kind of reaction you need them. Most of the time we only use it for eyeline. Like don't speak to the tennis ball because you're not going to get a real reaction out of it. So uh, back to the story of the movie uh, at this point, they're on the boat and we kind of already understand that uh, Eli Mills, the, he, I want to say bad guy in this movie, but he's really just like a money hungry guy, which makes him bad. But he's, he's not a good, he's not what I would call the bad guy of this movie. Uh, we, we understand that he's n- not capturing these dinosaurs to rescue them. He's capturing them to sell them, essentially sell them to the highest bidder for war, agriculture, sport hunting, whatever, whoever has the biggest bucks wants. And we also learned that he's created this character or not character, this uh, genetic hybrid from the Indominus Rex genome that we got at the beginning of the movie mixed with some Velociraptor called the Indoraptor. And we don't really get to see much of it at first, except for just like a CGI image of this like dinosaur. But we learn that he's selling all these dinosaurs to kind of fund uh, making more of these. Yeah. Like make improvements or so. uh, Yeah. Once he, he, he brings on this auctioneer who is played by uh, his name is Mr. Eversole. He's played by Toby Jones. I love that guy. And and so you are a hundred percent right. Like Toby Jones He's a great actor. He's been in a lot of movies from like the Captain America movie to Doctor Who. Yeah, Place Behind the Pines. Like he's been in a lot of stuff and he's like, he's one of these actors that's like maybe even underrated because he's been in so much stuff and his face is kind of almost everywhere. But he's not. Oh, he was also in Captain America. Yeah, that's what I just said. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no worries. Uh, But he, so he was, yeah, he was, um, uh, the the uh german doctor in captain america i forget what right, yeah. um but there's there's something going on with this character that threw me off for like the entire time that he was on screen do you do you know what i'm talking about um i mean i know he's almost always a bad guy he's usually never a good character except he was a good character in the mist oh yeah so 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 but I'm not sure exactly what you're, what, he's what got you're getting. Like these teeth on him. Like he's got, I don't know if they're actually his teeth and Mr. Jones, if they are actually your teeth, I mean, nothing by it, but he's got these like big old chompers on his front teeth that like give him this like lisp. Did you catch that? He's got like, I don't know if he's like trying to be posh and like the characters like showing that he's got a lot of money by having like really nice, like well done teeth. But, like, it gives him this, like, hissing quality to the way he talks. And it, like, I feel like it was a deliberate choice by the director to have him. Yeah, because he's kind of a snaky character. Yeah, exactly, like a snaky character. But it just, like, I don't know. Maybe it's just the fact that I've seen him in a bunch of movies and he doesn't have that. But it was, like, highly distracting throughout the scenes that he's in the movie. Especially in the close-ups, because when you really see those teeth. Yeah, he's got like a, a, let's talk about the price of the dinosaurs. Like, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it, I, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's like the one thing 
because like I said, I wanted to, I wanted to talk about this movie and shit all over this movie. Cause I just like, I genuinely didn't think it was a, a good movie until I did a, like did a lot of research and like learned about it and like kind of learned what the director's vision was going for. And, um, so, so the thematic change that I was talking about is kind of, it starts when we meet this character, uh, because it kind of goes from like a Jurassic park running through the jungle with dinosaurs movie to almost like a horror movie. We learn about this monster character, the Indominus Rex, and we learn like, and there's a scene where he like reaches his hand out of the shadows and oh my God, we didn't even mention the fact that like uh, John Hammond's ex-partner. Oh yeah, that's right. And daughter who is seemingly insignificant throughout most of the movie. She's just kind of like a, a proxy character throughout like a good chunk of the movie where we like are just viewing things through her eyes. Uh, but there's a scene where this Indominus Rex, this monster that the, they created in the lab, uh, reaches out and kind of like, scares the shit out of her as she's learning about Eli Mills's uh plot to sell off these dinosaurs and fund this this genetic monstrosity. Uh I think you're correct about her her whole character being like almost undermined because her character is almost the only reason for the ending, which we'll get to later and I'll talk more about that later on, but yeah, they don't really talk about her character all that much other than she's just a frightened girl that's learning of this evil plot about what he wants to do with the dinosaurs well and i think you're right i think that there's it's deliberate that they withheld it don't yeah they they withhold a lot about like why we should even care about this character other than the fact that it's kind of like a throwback to the kids in the first jurassic park movie where like we see a lot of this through kids eyes and it's like as a kid we you know had this wide-eyed like shining ignorance about dinosaurs and that's probably what you know sparked john hammond's idea in the first place is to recreate these things is that he's like loved dinosaurs as a kid loved the idea of it and so he grows up to a rich adult and then wants to start funding all this whatever to bring them back i think the idea of having kids in these movies is like like we were all here once we had these idealistic tendencies to want to be like, to want to see a T-Rex, to want to, you know, as a kid, like what would you have done to see a stegosaurus in real life? And, and so I think we kind of had these idealistic tendencies and I think they kind of play as a proxy for that in this, but, but you're right. She does have a bigger role come towards the end of the movie. But I think the one thing that really turned me around on this movie was learning about, um, J A God damn it. I've said his name six times today and I still can't. <laughs> um the director. Of course I can't can't. We'll just him. call him the director. They J. love being a. called Borales or Boreos or oh my god. J. A. Bayona. Uh his he styled the Indominus Rex like in his mind. When he created the Indominus Rex, he pictured the character Nosferatu. No shit. So there's this like thematic change in the movie that I mentioned a few times that it, it goes from being a Jurassic Park movie to being a horror movie. And watching it for the first time, and one of the reasons I didn't really like this movie is I didn't 
catch that. Like I was like, Oh, this isn't a Jurassic park movie anymore. Like it, it, it makes this hard change, but it was deliberate. I thought watching this movie that it was like accidental. Like they tried to bring a Jurassic park movie because at this point, everything takes place off of these Costa Rican islands that we've been on for every other movie. It's all in, uh, I don't, they don't really mention what town the U.S. Is. somewhere. Yeah, it's yeah. all, it's all in like a continental, like mainland place. Uh, so it, it really takes like a sharp change. And actually watching this over and over again, you like notice that, like we talked about in doom, like the lighting changes, it's much darker. Uh, it's, it's, true. it's hard to like make things out. And, and I'm sure that's probably something to do with like the fact that we're going to rely on, on a lot of CGI for these shots, but also thematically it's, he wants this thing to be scary. He wants this thing to be unpredictable and formidable. And he wants it to be like a horror film. This that's, that's actually funny because there's a lot more jump scares in the middle of the second to the ending of the third act. And that's, predominantly a horror film trope there's a lot of jump scares in horror films or any type of scary movie look at Blair Wish Project or the Evil Dead or anything that's a horror movie it's jump scares throughout the whole thing and you're right that that definitely makes not only does it make the dinosaurs look more realistic because they're in shadow they're they're you can't see everything but you understand the figure that's a dinosaur um I guess I didn't really understand it didn't really get get to me that it was a horror film until later on after the auction. And I don't think we've reached that part yet, but um, we could talk about it now, I guess. There, yeah, so we did mention that he brings on uh, the auctioneer too because he wants to sell these dinosaurs off to the highest bidder. And um, you, it, it does get to a point where it's like, there is as a clear defined line between the good guys and the bad guys, which I think some of the other Jurassic park movies have been like a little less clear on, like, because, you know, it's like, okay, these, these guys are, you know, trying to resurrect a uh, species and they, they're sure they're doing it to make money, but they're also doing it for, you know, science purposes and trying to learn more about our past and blah, blah, blah. But in this movie, there, there becomes a point where there's a clear line between uh, the Eli Mills, uh, Rafe Spall's character, and Toby Jones, Mister Eversall, they're like they clearly become the bad guys in this movie at a certain point. And I it, mean, I thought they were the bad guys once you figure out that they're trying to capture the dinosaurs, not for the same purposes. I think that's when they become the bad guys. But I think you're right; it's almost right right up until where they start auctioning off the dinosaurs to fund their big project. You're like, Oh my God, these guys are monsters. It's they're not the monster. The dinosaurs aren't the monsters. It's the humans that are the monsters. And that's, I mean, saying it in that sentence, it sounds very cheesy. Like, Oh, it's not, it does. The, it's not the monster. That's the monster. It's the people that are the monster, but like it works, it is exactly the truth. And like, and it hits home a lot because you you find these you find these commonalities between these movies in real life where it's like yeah like none of this would have happened without human intervention and it, you know you get the the Dr. Wu character back in BD Wong and he 
he goes from being like this altruistic, really like bright eyed scientist in the Jurassic Park, the first movie, to being this like, I am God type character in definitely has that trope Jurassic yeah. World and and Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. And it's and it's amazing to see how uh, how they can kind of flip the script on you as far as like you know, oh, I thought the dinosaurs were the scary part of this movie, but no, it's 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 greed and human avarice that's the scary part of this movie. I mean, and there's still scary dinosaurs. The the new dinosaur is definitely like supposed to be the biggest, baddest, maybe not the biggest, but it's supposed to be the smartest, most intelligent. I mean, for God's sakes, humans are able to supposedly control this dinosaur with sensors and laser beams. Yeah, so there's a part where where they're auctioning off, well, they're not really even intending to auction off the Indoraptor, but they're They're showing its capabilities by showing that they've trained this thing to not only hone in on uh, like a coded flashing laser beam, but also to attack when it hears this like coded high pitched sound emitted from this, uh, from this soldier's gun. Like a dog whistle kind of thing. Almost like a dog whistle. And, and I, I want to see the scenes like, cause you can't genetically code that into somebody. Like you can have a dog whose parents were highly trained, you know, sit, stay, roll over, fetch, whatever, and then have a puppy who knows none of that. So I want to see the scenes where they train this thing to like uh, get the laser. Like, it's like, did you get the cat where you (laughs) want to see how they figured that out because the science behind the training, because the whole movie indicates that it's like, it's genetically built into this thing, but that's just not how genetics work. Well, that's the reason why they needed the Velociraptor alive is because they needed that Velociraptor's DNA that Chris Pratt's character trained showing that, hey, this animal can be controlled. And it's the only dinosaur that was able to be controlled. So by keeping the Velociraptor alive and getting its DNA and its blood work, you can theoretically reproduce that for their big bad guy. Yeah, and that was that was another part of the movie that didn't quite track is that they're like, we need blue because it's the only way we can control this animal. But then they go to auction it off, and they're like, no, we got this down. Just watch. There's a little laser with the sound in it. <laughs> Everything's good. We got just this. Watch this button. It's just yeah, we got this figured out. I don't know why we need the other raptor, but uh, so at this point, our main characters, uh, Owen Grady, Claire Denning, uh, not Denning, uh, Owen and Claire are they they've been captured by the bad guys because they were obviously on the boat that was surrounded by bad guys and once they get off they kind of get picked up by the main tracker um and they're in this jail cell and they use um uh, of course i didn't write it down but the the really thick skull cranium dinosaur to like bust through the walls of their cell and get out uh, Which is a pretty smart way to get out, actually. And it's sure it's smart, but it's like Owen only had a relationship with the Velociraptors, and then all of a sudden in this movie, he's like, like a dinosaur expert. <laughs> like he's like he's like, you know, come here, boy. Like he's he's got the he knows how to train this other dinosaur that he's had little to no experience with, 
to like, yeah, no, just keep bashing your head against that wall. Well, like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Maybe, maybe dinosaurs are susceptible to whistles. Like that part was, uh, was one of those parts that like brings me out of the movie just a little bit. Cause it's like, he was a velociraptor trainer, not like a dinosaur trainer. Like he worked with this set group and we, and we see in sections of the movie, like video recordings of when he's first training this group of velociraptors it's just them. Like he's not, he's not, it's not velociraptors plus, you know, cranium dinosaur that bust their walls. It's just the four velociraptors. And he's like, Oh, that's amazing. Like I, I learned how to figure out, you know, the, these dinosaurs can show or blue can show empathy. Like they really kind of put an emphasis emphasis on this lead uh, dinosaur, which I don't think it was really emphasized in Jurassic world that like one of these was like better than the other dinosaurs. I don't know. Do you remember that specifically? Not, no, not really. Um, I do think, if I remember correctly, when the, you know, the, the bighorn sheep of dinosaurs, if that's what we're going to call it, basically, with the thick skull. Oh, nice. That was a good, that was a good, yeah. I think, uh, I, I think the reason why he thinks this plan is going to work is, A, it's the only plan he can think of in a very, you know, small window but also, I think they chalked it up to a line of dialogue where, where Claire's character says something like, what are you doing? Like, you don't know what you're doing. And he's like, hold on, I got this. Or then I think he whispers to himself like, I think I got this. So like, there's doubt in himself thinking, hey, this might fucking kill both of us, but we're going to die in this jail cell anyway. And luckily, it just happens to work out. Yeah, and, and you know, obviously... Like any movie, you have to like, uh, you know, up the luck uh, faction. You know, it's like you got to roll. You got to roll a twenty if you're rolling luck in most of these movies. True. Uh, but and, and so once they're out of the the cell, this thing's busted out of the cell. Uh, I love the fact that he like just kind of sets this thing loose on the the auction he's just <laughs> yeah. like hey buddy you, you think of what i'm thinking because he sees this thing as the elevator opens he's like ah i'm putting a plan together and so i think that kind of speaks to your like flying by the seat of the seat of his pants idea which and surprisingly when, when he has that idea like that darn it that dinosaur hasn't decided i'm gonna murder you he just go. It's just written into the script to where like, oh, this dinosaur is gonna help me. But in realistically, I'm I'm pretty sure they would not have made it out of that jail cell. And if they did, that thing would have beaten the shit out of both of them. Well, here's where my dinosaur nerd thing comes into play. Uh, while I do not remember the name of the dinosaur, I do know for a fact that that specific type of dinosaur was vegetarian. It has like. Oh really. Yeah, it's got like a beak mouth and it only eats plants and like whatever. Um, so doesn't mean they can't get you know beaten to a pulp with his head. Yeah, he well, and he obviously had to pull off some parkour style moves to get to get it to to hit where it wants it to hit, and then uh, and then um, you know to be able to make it out of there. So finally, we get to the auction, and this is another moment that I was thinking about how they kind of like play to current events. So the people that are showing up to this auction, they're not just rich billionaires. It seems more of like a, 
a black market drug or gun buying deal. Like there's people from Russia and they don't mention where a lot of these characters are from, but it's their accents that you tell, okay, that guy's from Russia or that guy's from, you know, the Middle East or this guy is from China or something. And it very evidently becomes almost a mix between a fashion show and a black market deal because they're showcasing the dinosaurs. Everybody's wearing suits and they, all the people, all the men have brought in dates to this event, this <laughs> black market. I'm going to buy an illegal dinosaur to use for illegal purposes. Why not bring a couple of girls with me to show how much of a baller I am? Yeah. And, uh, it just, yeah, it, it, it mixes between like a fashion show and a black market deal. And uh, so essentially these dinosaurs are weapons that these people are buying. So they're not buying these, you know, these dinosaurs to help farm their, you know, their farmland or anything. They're going to turn these dinosaurs into like tactical killers. Or yeah, I know, or whatever they're doing. Like I do agree with you. There's like a parade of like bad guy movie tropes that come into this thing. Like, there's the Russian guy. There's the. Doesn't he buy like six different dinosaurs? That are like, I don't know how many he buys in particular, but there's like the, you know, like you said, the, the Chinese like businessman type guy. There's the cowboy. Like there's a one specific guy who's like wearing a cowboy hat and got the big white mustache, like Doug Dimmodome, owner of the Dimsdale Dimmodome type character. Yeah, like, what the hell is he going to use a dinosaur for? I don't know. He's like that. Seemed like I, I like they mentioned like sport hunting and stuff like that. Like, oh okay, yeah, I right. have a hard time believing that somebody's going to pay like multi millions of dollars to. I don't know. I could be completely wrong. People pay thousands of dollars to hunt elephants and shit, but like somebody's going to pay like multi million dollars to hunt a dinosaur, but uh, or something like that. But yeah. I, I feel like. The, the main reason why all those people are there is to use these dinosaurs for war purposes. It definitely has this really heavy war presence, like a, like, you know, a black market gun deal or like buying, you know, WMDs. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things that's like, it's a very soft spoken line in the movie but when they actually wind up auctioning off the Indoraptor, because they, they bring it out as just like a, here's what we've got coming up next type thing. Like, here's what you can buy. And the next time you come to this black market auction that, you know, in the world of 2018, surely the government has no idea this is happening. <laughs> Nobody's ever tapped a phone line in this world, but uh, they, they bring up the idea once they auction this thing off, which uh, I don't know if you remember, but the auction starts at like twenty-two million, and was it never, was the highest, never, right? That was the highest price. No, that was when it started for the Indoraptor, and it goes like twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, and then it cuts away for a while, and then when you come back, they just say sold, and they don't actually say what it sold for. But if you look on the screen, it says it. I can't remember if it was forty-four or forty-five million dollars that this thing finally. Uh, because they got the screen that comes up. Oh, that's right. Uh, the bank transfers. The, yeah, they got the big like uh, you know presentation style screen. But it, it winds up getting auctioned for forty four or forty five million dollars, and the guy uh, Henry uh, Henry Wu character, <laughs> Doctor Wu. Um, yeah, Doctor Wu's character, the geneticist, 
is like, what the fuck are you doing? This is just a prototype. We're not trying to sell this. And the guy's like, relax. We just saw this is selling for millions of dollars. We'll make another one. Yeah, and remember he says we'll make more. Line. Yeah, he says, he says, yeah, but they're going to too. Like they're going to make more too. And I think I, that's one another thing that drives me crazy about this movie is that like the smart characters that we're supposed to really like and like root for throughout this movie are tricked and like outdone by increasingly stupid people. Like the, the, the tracker tricks them at the very beginning of the movie and he winds up getting murked. And this guy who's supposed to be like a plus businessman is auctioning off this dinosaur because he sees dollar signs in his eyes but he doesn't think about the fact he hasn't copyrighted this thing like nobody knows about this but him and the geneticist that made it so as soon as this thing's gone for 45 million dollars that's the last dollar he's ever going to see from it because whoever bought it's just going to make a bunch more like or try to get the trademark on that motherfucker yeah, the Henry Wu character, Dr. Wu, he's not the only one, I'm sure, that studies that field. Like, I'm sure there's somebody in Russia or somebody in China or whatever that's going to be Russia able to hour. figure out how to, re- re- <laughs> how to reverse engineer this fucking dinosaur. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe they blocked away the technology. But it seems like <laughs> the fact that he goes, oh, we can just make more, like, how? Like, wasn't the whole point of you needing the Velociraptor right. was to make more, but you sell you sold the beta product? Yeah, it, it just seems like he, he completely forgets what business is. He, he's just like, he money. He saw the money sign. Oh, yeah, he sees them dollar signs. So before we get, get too long into this episode, let's get to kind of how this movie ends. Uh, they auction off the Indominus Rex. Chris Pratt says... We can't let that thing leave the building. Um, and of course, inevitably, it gets out of its little cage. And this is where the tracker character kind of gets murked because while well, he's the one who let it out, he, he has this thing affinity for stealing dinosaur teeth. And mm-hmm. he winds up tranquilizing this thing with two darts, which, I mean, the darts are like very wildly and like, what their effectiveness is so they'll either put down chris pratt for like an hour and a half or two of like one of them will put down chris pratt for an hour and a half or he thinks two of them is going to put down this dinosaur long enough to uh you know go in and like yank a tooth out of its mouth uh and so he goes in and tries to yank this tooth out of, out of the uh, indoraptor's mouth and it, it, there's a point where this fucking dinosaur like smiles at the camera. Did you catch that? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like it was playing dead. It, and that's the thing is they did they underestimated how smart this animal is because not only is it mixed between God knows what plus a Velociraptor and I think bits of a T Rex. Well, it was the Andominus Rex, which was like all the like fucking like chameleon and all the like other shit they fucked around with in lost all world the intelligence not lost yeah. world, that jurassic world and then plus a velociraptor which is like we've seen the smartest dinosaur they talk about that yeah. in every movie they've talked about how smart the velociraptor is and uh how cunning and stuff it is and uh yeah when i saw the smile i was like 
oh, no. Well, then again, I knew the second you opened that it was going to happen. But, yeah, when, when you see the dinosaur smile, I was like, I don't think we've ever seen a dinosaur smile. Yeah, it, it, it's, it played back into that, like, horror movie trope where not only is this thing, like, bad, it knows it's bad. And there was an interesting bit that I read where they kind of analyzed as far as like how a reptile actually looks versus this character and the dinosaur itself uh, has like a lot of uh, like saliva and like mucus in its mouth. And uh, there was like an article that like actually theorized that this Andominus Rex was actually like physically sick this whole movie as well. Oh, okay. So, uh, the, the dinosaur itself gets out and now it's roaming free around this mansion setting and, uh, people are dying all over the place. people People are dying. And the little girl that we mentioned earlier, uh, we find out that she's in fact a clone of, John Hammond's partner's daughter. And that's the reason why him and John Hammond weren't partners anymore. Cause he wanted to clone his daughter after she passed away in a car incident. And I don't know the idea of a clone in this movie, like a human clone in this movie, like it fits right in because they're fucking around with genetics and clone and like making creatures out of nothing. But it, it felt a little force towards the end. I felt, like, I felt like they did need to, they wanted to push the bar a little bit farther because in every Jurassic movie, you know, they've, they've cloned the dinosaurs. They've redone dinosaurs. Then, it, you know, Jurassic World's big thing was we've mixed dinosaurs. And now they're probably sitting in the writing room thinking, all right, we got to go bigger. What are we going to do now? We've already mixed dinosaurs. We've already done all this. Somebody came up with the idea of, well, what if we, like, use that same technology to clone a human? I, I actually was not that far like that off put by that idea because when you're doing movies like this in sequence like this, you need to have a, a bigger stake or something like more advanced to carry the next film. But the fact that we don't get that information until like the third act. Well, and, and it kind of brings up back to, we spoke about how they were kind of hiding like why this girl was relevant in, in the movie and so it didn't it didn't feel quite forced in that point, just like the idea that human clones were forced. And then we we get to the end of this movie where I mean things play out like you would. The the bad guys get eaten and the good guys, you know, save the day and get this. I mean, uh the Indoraptor is essentially they're like fighting in this house and they kind of get to the rooftop and the Indoraptor gets attacked by the blue dinosaur, uh, the blue Velociraptor uh, as kind of like a show of like, you know, it knows that what it is and it knows that these humans are the good guys and that the dinosaur is the bad guy or the, the Indoraptor is like, you know, attacking the people that it knows. Uh, right. And so once it, it, it kind of comes to a head, the the fact that this girl's a clone is really what 
what leads to the most interesting part about this movie. Um, I didn't like this movie because it felt shunted to me. I, I mentioned a few reasons why it felt, why other reasons why I didn't like this movie, but the ending just felt like, I don't know, like I said, shunted to me. And I didn't realize until researching this movie that this is movie two out of a trilogy. Did you know right. they're making another one of these? Well, I know they were supposed to be making another one, but it's been a while. It's been what, almost a year and a half. So I, I understand it, what you're saying. Like it's been a while since we've heard anything from this franchise, but even at the end of this movie, when they were talking about how it spun into another third, um, the date for the third movie is not till like July, uh, 2021. Yeah. I, I do know that they were working on another one because the way they end this movie is this next movie is the movie I want to see because of the way they end it because, and we'll get to that here in a second. Um, I also wanted to touch back on the horror trope that you mentioned I didn't realize this became a horror movie until this dinosaur is running around this big ass mansion house trying to lurk and find and kill all the other characters. That's when to me it realized, oh, this is more of a horror type, kind of like a, a Jason Voorhees movie almost, where he's what, what? Hiding, hiding around, <laughs> you know what I mean, and uh, killing everybody in the movie. But um, back to your point, the the trilogy movie and we could probably just talk about the ending now we're we're right there yeah i i think i think that's probably smart go ahead well so the way they end this movie is um the dominus rex you know eventually gets killed uh spoiler if you haven't seen it uh the velociraptor pre uh prevails over this new big bad dinosaur and ends up killing it and i believe it was on the horns of a triceratops yeah, it was. The, uh, they had like a dinosaur museum in the like uh, atrium of this building that they're fighting in. Right, and they fall through the glass, and the the you know the the bad dinosaur and the Velociraptor they're spinning out of control. But just before the last second, the Velociraptor like kicks or spins the bad dinosaur. I can't remember that damn name, but it, and then it just gets impaled by the horns of this Triceratops. And then the Velociraptor is like the big badass. And this is the only time that we see the Velociraptor as the victor, not the T-Rex that comes later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, the name of that, the in, uh, Indoraptor. I almost Indoraptor, that's right. Then, like, I, I can't tell you how many fucking times I misspelled Indominus Rex and Indoraptor when I was, like, writing my notes for the show. <laughs> like, I couldn't tell if it was Ando, Indo. Like, I, I just, yeah, the names are confusing just because they're, one is derivative of the other. It's the Indominus Rex and then the Indoraptor. So, uh, but yeah, it, it, it comes to a head of a fight scene on the rooftop over this atrium and the Claire character uses the, the Indoraptor's targeting system with the laser pointer and the sound to trick it into fighting over this glass rooftop and eventually the blue Raptor comes and 
fights it and they fall through the ceiling and they yeah do do kind of like a crazy slow motion spin in the air and the indominus rex gets pierced by the uh triceratops horns and so they after that like it feels like the movie's like okay it's like breathe a sigh or leave the movie's over and they find out that in fact all these dinosaurs that are in the sub-basement of this building are getting gassed out by i don't remember what type of gas is some sort of like like some poisonous gas, gas that was like that is like uh, it was keeping the ecosystem alive or something something like that but uh so they have to go down there and they're like they're forced with this big decision and they're like do we let these dinosaurs out and save them like we've been like that was our goal the whole movie was to save these dinosaurs or do we just let like it come to an end and they die and like like I said, I thought this was the end. I didn't know that they were making another uh, Jurassic Park. So when the big like what moment happens, yeah, it it really felt broken to me. It felt like oh, this is how they're gonna fucking end it. And so this is maybe probably just my like not being informed, but the clone, the girl, I don't know if I can remember her name, um, the the little girl clone. Uh, Maisie Lockwood, who's who's uh, obviously Lockwood's granddaughter slash daughter, who was uh, cloned. Uh, like while they're talking about like whether they're bantering back and forth, like should we do this? Should we let them out? Should we let them die? And she just fucking hits the button and just lets lets the dinosaurs go. And well, actually, Claire's character runs up to get ready to hit the button to release them. Right, so she flips open this like case, and there's a big old red button. And she's about ready to press it. And her character throughout the whole movie, her whole goal was to save these dinosaurs, right? And then at the last second, she stops herself. And I think she looks at at Chris Pratt's character and then she closes the little plastic box back over the button. And that's her decision. Like, we're going to let them die. There's, There's, you know, that was her main decision. And then as her and Chris Pratt are talking about like how that was such a good decision, like, all right, we made the right decision. You know, <laughs> this is how the movie's going to play out. These dinosaurs are going to die. You can hear him choking and you can see him in, like dying in the background. And then that's when you hear like the doors open and then the characters turn around and it's, it's the little girl. And uh, I can't remember what her line was. I think she says, they're like me they're like me they're yeah. just like me and basically like if she gets to live why don't they get to live? yeah she's like I'm, like I'm a genetic creation and they are too yeah and i was like oh man like i i, I wanted to not like that part but i i actually thought that whole piece tied the ending together without that piece it would make no sense so so i almost i i had like a similar reaction except knowing what I know now, I feel differently about that reaction. Cause I was like, like Jesus Christ. Now we've got fucking dinosaurs just roaming <laughs> about the world. Your feelings. You're just millions of people. You're just going to let it be that way. Like, Oh, welcome to Jurassic world. Jeff Goldblum's line at the very end. Like now we've got dinosaurs just out in the open and that's the end. Like I had no idea they were making a third movie. And so I think that's why I chose this movie for the, our podcast. Cause I really did not like it because of the ending of this movie. 
And now I that I, I did some research, which is like, thank goodness for the podcast, because I love Jurassic Park and I hate to hate these movies, or I hate to hate this movie. And so now that I like did some research and found out like, oh, they're planning a third one where you get to find out how the whole world reacts to having fucking, you know, pterosaurs flying around or velociraptors running through the desert and like crazy stuff. Uh, and so I wanted to know, Brad, you're a seasoned filmmaker. You're, you've got written scripts. You've, you've pitched movies before. Nobody knows what the plot for Jurassic world three is. What's your pitch? Oh man. My, okay. So my pitch definitely Jeff Goldblum has to be in the next one has because for this whole fallen kingdom movie, he said, kill them, kill them all, let them all burn. They cannot be alive. Right. Cause he's been through the shit so many times. This is technically the third time he's been through the shit. So, and this is, he's got to be some kind of a leader, like, like maybe not like a bad guy, but like a neutral character that is there to fight against the dinosaurs. Like this is just me randomly thinking on a whim of like creating a scene, but like he's in front of a, like, like a, <laughs> he's in front of a group of like ragtag hunters and he's got like a Rambo rag around his forehead and he's got a big old gun and he's like, we're going to go kill these things. I've been telling the government for years, we got to kill these things. And so like now he's going to go and do it. He's what if he becomes the protagonist in the next movie or the, sorry, the antagonist in the next movie. Oh, okay. I, see. Granted, I don't think that's how they're going to write that. I mean, but, Jeff Goldblum was a great antagonist in Ragnarok, which we've talked true. about. Like uh, Taika Waititi did a great job of making him like, he's not a bad guy in the traditional bad guy sense. He's, but he's a bad guy in his intention, but he's actually like a really nice, like, like, like you meet him and just talk to him. He's like very personable and a nice guy. But like, if you find out what he's actually up to, he's, he's really not the greatest guy. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is when you think about bad guys for, from their perspective, they have a complete reason of why they're doing what they're doing. You know, Thanos wanted to, sorry, Thanos, Thanos, wanted to eliminate half the world for his own not just his personal reasons but in his mind to save the universe that was what he thought was right so in this next movie let's just say this these events unfold where jeff goldboom decides i'm gonna go and kill all of the dinosaurs with a ragtag group of hunters because that's what i believe is what's going to save this world but in another perspective that could be completely wrong but this is actually the movie that I really want to see because we've seen dinosaurs on a secluded island. We've seen them, you know, for three movies, just be murdering a bunch of people. And then there's Jurassic World where the attraction finally opened, the big moment with this whole series built up to, right? And it fails horribly. And now this is the movie where now there's real stakes. It's not just an island way off the coast. You're in the U.S. There's thousands and hundreds of millions of people here. And dinosaurs are now present in life. So I want to see how the fuck they're going to write this movie. Because there, sh- there better be a lot of destruction. But it better not turn out like one of those, that stupid King Kong movie where he comes to the city and destroys everything. 
Yeah, you don't want to see like the last 20 minutes of Jurassic, uh, not Jurassic World, Lost World, like part two. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You kind of want to see like one, like an established, like, okay, dinosaurs have been around for just a little while. So this is how we've coped with them. And you want to see uh, like how, what the pushback is going to be. Like, yeah. Yeah. In my opinion, I, I would say. I'm pretty sure whatever whatever happens in the, in the third movie, which is probably going to be the final, I don't think they should redo anything else after this next one. There's not much but, more to do unless you do prequels like you were talking about. I mean, I mean, there could be a chance that they somehow, you know, climb aboard Elon Musk's shuttle and now they're in <laughs> space. And so now we've got dinosaurs in space and that movie, you know, then you've got... <laughs> and you've got Matt Damon and his Martian family on Mars defending their home planet against invading dinosaurs. How many dinosaurs can you fit inside a Tesla Roadster? I'm really wondering. I mean, remember in Jurassic Park, remember the first one, they had all those dinosaur eggs that hatched. Yeah. Oh, right, right. Load up all the, all the dinosaurs onto a space shuttle. Just wanna, but, I just want to see the movie where they tie... Jurassic Park three into the first Dinotopia movie where it's <laughs> great. <laughs> like Jeff Goldblum's like, oh, I guess I was wrong. Uh, but no, I, I, I think I, think I just want to see you're like on a good path. Like I just want to see a Velociraptor with a space, not a astronaut helmet on. Uh, I mean, and who wouldn't, I just want to see that so bad, but <laughs> the outcome of this next third movie, my guess is no matter what happens, uh, all the dinosaurs are going to die. Like, if I'm going to pick an outcome, humans are going to win, all the dinosaurs are going to die with a lot of destruction. I don't know. It sounds biased to me. I want to see the movie where they they have human-dinosaur <laughs> hybrids, and that's how we get oh to God. the Super Mario Brothers movie with the little, like, dinosaur. <laughs> that's where it leads to. Yeah. The, the, the dinosaurs go into the sewers, and then all the, all the plumbers that are fixing the New York <laughs> – plumbing system end up either getting radioactively bit by dinosaurs and turning into dinosaurs or they have sex with the dinosaurs Ooh. either way and now we have the goombas and then it ties into the whole super mario franchise fantastic well brad i think we've said all that we can say and more um do you have anything else that you'd like to say actually i, I want to know your opinion what, what do you think the next movie is going to be like Oh, uh, well, from a realistic standpoint, I was just making shit up randomly on a whim. But. So I, I honestly, I, I will be thoroughly disappointed if there's like, I, I like I said, it's got to be already a little bit established that the dinosaurs have been around for a while. People are kind of coping with it, but there's got to be some sort of pushback at like as the conflict of the movie. But I will be thoroughly disappointed if there's not some sort of dinosaur sport. Like if they're not like Ooh. riding around like uh, the fucking Gallimimus or some shit and <laughs> polo or <laughs> like, uh, like a T-Rex jousting event or um, maybe just like, I don't Gladiator know, T-Rex style, jousting like- is the best my mind's got right now. But uh, I'm thinking like cage fighting. Uh, well, I mean, like that's pretty- like like cockfighting but with at dinosaurs you just have like a dude in there with boxing gloves go up and punch up a fucking <laughs> like stick so it's like bam, bam. well i was thinking more like like dog dino. fighting but with oh, dinosaurs yeah, i know i know i was uh, dino versus dino but uh yeah but then I, 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 I think 
that I would really like to see what the world is where dinosaurs are already established, like we're living alongside them. And then there's got to be something to make a, like a, something starts pushing back. Like we can't have these dinos around anymore. And then they obviously have to call Chris Pratt cause he's signed for the next movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say in all seriousness, the, the reason why the fallen kingdom movie was so pro dinosaurs is because the dinosaurs were not living in your same space. They were not trying to kill you day in and day out. They were on a remote Island way, way off the coast somewhere. Now that the dinosaurs are here, I'm sure it completely changes. I'm sure the nation or whatever, they just start trying to nuke them everywhere. Yeah. And we'll see what happens. Cool, man. Well, I, I certainly appreciate you uh, watching this movie with me and being on the show. Um, it, this is actually great fun. I, I had a good time. Um, if you are online, uh, we just hit Spotify and Google Play. Um, so look up Absurdist Asylum to listen to your favorite podcast on Spotify or Google Play. Also, we've been on YouTube forever, uh, Absurdist Asylum, YouTube.com. Uh, and on Twitter, we are Absurdist Asylum, no apostrophe. And on Facebook, we have Absurdist Asylum with the apostrophe. And if you'd like to email us, we are absurdasylum at gmail.com. Uh, Brad, thanks for, thanks for joining me on this one. No, thank you for talking about dinosaurs with me. You gotta, gotta nerd out. It's what we do. <laughs>